Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Welcome. Praise God. Come on in and find a seat. We're about ready to get started this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see everyone here today. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Welcome. Welcome to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God. We're glad you're here today. We're excited to be here. We're excited about what God has in store for us today. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, as you see, Pastor Joe is not up here today. And actually, Sister Christina and Pastor Joe, they're on vacation this week. Uh, but uh, Sister Christina came to play for us this morning, and uh, we're so glad. But we're delighted. We're excited to have our, our missionaries, our very own missionaries here. They're going to be uh, introduced properly and, and speak. The Bowdens are with us, and uh, we're excited to hear from them and what God is doing in their lives and in their ministry. So a little bit later, we'll hear from them. But uh, at this time, I want to just take a moment. I want to invite brother david clee if he would come at this time and uh talk to us a little bit about bgmc this is mission sunday so brother david thank you pastor todd and i asked pastor todd if i could take a couple minutes and give a commercial so to speak but you know through the years pleasant grove has been a very strong mission supporting church and i believe that's because we build it starting with young ones and coming up and, you know, we got a lot of folks that haven't been here forever like I have. You know, I've been here over 40 years, probably approaching 50 years. And when you see these yellow buckets in the back come out once a month, second Sunday when it's Mission Sunday, this is the kids' effort to support missions. And it's called Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. It used to be Boys and Girls Missionary Crusade back when we were little. And what this is, is the idea is, is for the boys and girls, and adults do it too, to take these yellow, yellow buckets, yellow containers home, fill them up with spare change. Hit your grandparents, your mom and dad. You know, I can remember when before COVID I was eating out a lot, you know, so I'd have change every day. Well, I'd just dump it in there at the end of the day, you know, and then bring it in once a month. And the idea is, is that this money goes to help our missionaries with things that they can't get, you know, what their regular funds don't do. And my belief is, and Gail did this program for many years, and today is BGMC Sunday, and each uh, Sunday, once a month, with the kids' church, there's an emphasis on a specific country. And so the kids are learning about other countries and, and what the missionaries are doing there, and that's what this is all about. But my strong belief is, is that as we train our kids to give to missions when they're young, you're going to grow it. You know, and our youth have a program called Speed of Light, and then, of course, the church has the missions, and, you know, what do we have, 40 or so missionaries that we support. You know, I believe it's close to, uh, I think it's around $2,500 a month uh, goes to our missionaries from our general, well, I call it general fund, but it's not. And actually, there's a tithe that goes off our tithe and offering into the missions every month. And then, of course, there's the specified you know, designations when folks give specifically to meet their missions pledge and others sp uh, support specific missionaries individually. But my whole emphasis was when you see those yellow buckets come out, empty your change. Uh, quiet money is good too. I remember several years ago I mentioned, you know, hey, 
those tens and twenties are nice, and even a fifty once in a while. And you know what? A fifty showed up that Sunday. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, the Lord knows. But as we train our young ones to support missions and love the Lord, it's not about you know what they're doing, but it's about getting a heart for God. You know, so the kids may come around. Oh, I want a donation. Well, maybe what you need to do is, hey, you know, maybe they need to work and do a little extra something around the house to help raise that money. So. Of course, I'm sure that, you know, as you're raising your kids, if they do make a little money, teach them to pay their tithes. That's all part of it, you know. Uh, so whether it's the missions or the tithes. But so when you see the yellow buckets come out, that's what it's about. It's uh, BGMC. It's our kids' emphasis for the uh, missions. Thank you. Appreciate it, brother. Amen. Thank you, brother David. Train up a child in the way they should go. Amen. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Well, what a great opportunity through our missions, our missions given. This is Mission Sunday, as Brother David mentioned. And, and so uh, if you've made a pledge, if you've made a faith promise toward mission, it's a good reminder to drop those offerings uh, uh, in, the, in the offering boxes provided in the back. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, so for, for our missionaries today, we won't be receiving a separate offering, but we do want to give you an opportunity to bless our missionaries today, uh, the Bowden. So at the time, uh, at the end of the service, when you drop your offerings, there's some uh, tithing offering envelopes there in the chair in front of you. Uh, just designate on there other. You can put the Bowdens and, and just put the amount that, uh, that you're enclosing there for them. And we'll be sure they get it. Amen. But what a blessing it is to be a part of missions, not only here in our local church, but throughout the world as we support missionaries in our prayer. And in our giving, we're sowing into the ministry uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, going to the uttermost parts of the world, amen, to the ends of the earth that many will hear, amen. What a privilege it is. Are you ready to worship the Lord this morning? Amen. I'm ready to worship God. I hope you are too. I want to invite everyone to stand. Hallelujah. Let's rejoice in the Lord today. He's worthy. He's worthy. We want to give glory to His name today. Amen. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for this day that you have made, Lord. We rejoice in it. We're glad in it today, Lord. And today we give glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, down at the cross where my Savior died, down with the cleansing from sin I cried. Then to my heart was the blood of life. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His wonderful name. Then to my heart was the blood. Sing from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides. 
worship the one that's so faithful to him. Let's lift our hands this morning and sing his praise. Sing your 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we love you this morning. Lord, we thank you today, Lord. Oh, mighty God, we thank you today that there's coming a day, Lord. Oh, that that trumpet sounds, Lord God. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for dying for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your obedience to the cross of Calvary, Lord. Oh, that we can live, can live with a hope, Lord. Oh, mighty God, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we praise you this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's just worship him for a minute, church. Just let him know how much you love him this morning. Father, you're worthy, Lord. We love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, mighty God, the ancient of days. Oh, Rabbi Ha, the one, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, Lord. Oh, mighty God, we love you today. We thank you, Lord. Oh, that you're a mighty God. You're a loving God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You're a healing God. Lord, no matter what we have need of, God. 
Father, we thank you today, Lord. Oh, for who you are, Lord God. You meet every need, Lord God, according to your riches and glory and your plan. Father, we love you today and we thank you, Lord, for your everlasting love, Lord. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Amen. He raised me. Oh, glory to God. What a God we serve that He didn't leave us in the pit and that mire that... But he raised us up, amen, hallelujah, for the glory of God. And he placed our feet upon the rock, hallelujah. Hallelujah, for His glory, in His presence, fullness of joy. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. If God said it, He'll perform it. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Well, glory. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. What a privilege that we can come and we can experience his presence. Amen. Amen. And his word to us is yes and amen. Hallelujah. Well, glory. I want to go ahead and at this time, we'll go ahead and release our children to Children's Church. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I wanted to uh, just take a minute now and, and, and invite our missionaries to come. Sam and Shelly Bowden, they're, they're no stranger to us here as this is their home church, and we're blessed to have them, uh, not only missionaries serving in the Philippines. Amen. Amen. But they are also area directors of the Assemblies of God South in Southeast Asia and ICI Ministries in Manila, Philippines. So uh, we're so proud of them and, and how they've allowed God to use them over the years. And we're excited to have them here today and hear what God's doing. God bless you. Thank you, Todd. Such a pleasure to be here today and to fill this pulpit. It's always good to be here at Pleasant Grove. Uh, some of you have known me all of my 54 years. Others of you haven't. I grew up right here in Durant on Blunt Road. I think as I was thinking about our history here and growing up at Pleasant Grove, I, I couldn't help but remember that as I was a kid growing up, I would think I was kin to probably about half of you. Blood-related, akin to Porters and Blunts and uh, through marriage, a whole bunch more. I remember one time I was uh, at a meeting, and Todd and Carla were at the meeting as well, or a pastor uh, was wanting to introduce me to them like I didn't know them. Introduced me to Todd and Carla, and I said, well, I know them. I said, they're my cousins. I said, they're both my cousins. I said, but they're not cousins. And so he seemed a little relieved. But it's such a joy to be here and to share with you. We've served in Southeast Asia now for 28 years. First in Thailand, and then we spent nine years in Laos. Now we've been in the Philippines for 12 years. And I just want to say thank you to you for standing with us every one of those years. For standing with us even before those years. Praying for us. Keeping us in your hand. Keeping us in your thoughts. Because in your support, without you, we wouldn't have been able to serve all those years. We thank the Lord for that. And thankfully, though it's been 28 years, I hope that we have at least that many more left in us. Only time will tell. We thank God for what he has done in opening up these opportunities to minister and, and work for him. And I'll share a little bit more about our work as I, I, I speak, preach this morning. But Shelly is going to sing this morning and going to minister as well. So I was, I was telling Mima, she was, you know, say, are you going to sing today? And I said, well, you know, Mima, Mima we don't, I don't sing that much in churches. Most churches don't have special music. And she said, well, that's just not going to work. Here at Pleasant Grove, you're going to sing. So I'm going to sing this morning. So I decided to um, start with an old favorite that you all will know. 
I think we would all agree that the last year we've been taking a lot to the Lord in prayer. And you know, sometimes things come turn out the way we want them to, and sometimes we have to leave it in God's hands to know that he sees and knows what's best for us. But one thread that's really been woven through this whole year for me is God's goodness. That he knows me that he loves me, that he knows you, that he loves you, and he holds us in the palm of his hand. And that's a constant thread that we can go to every time, even when we don't understand the circumstance and, and we really can't hardly fathom the situation that we find ourselves in. We can always go and we can rest and we can trust and we can lean on his goodness. So I just want to end up and, and sing a little bit about that today. I love you, Lord, for your mercies never fail me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made. Oh, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. Yeah, and all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. 
Amen. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his goodness. Amen. And I thank him for Shelley and her ability in the ministry of music. I've said it before and told all of you, and most of you knew it already, I guess, but I thought the Lord sort of owed me in that category after the voice he gave me. No ability at all. I think in growing up here, uh, it, youth, kids choir, youth choir, any other choir, I was always there. I was a willing heart, a willing voice, but just not a voice most wanted to hear. I think that uh, most of the time, Keith and I spent our time down at the end, Keith Lund and I, down at the end, where they didn't turn the microphone on. But we did the best we could. And all, all of you music people, you did the best you could to try to get it out of us. It just wasn't there. We thank God for all that he has done and his goodness. I meant to mention earlier that we're coming to the end. Many of you know we came home on, on furlough last July. Uh, this has been a, a time that we could have never, ever imagined. Uh, we actually planned to come home uh, for, the, for the year of 2020 because Mary-Kate was graduating from college. And that was just to come home, help her transition into life. And we thought it would be moving from Pensacola to another job, uh, to a job or wherever God, God had for her, uh, having no idea that a worldwide pandemic was just around the corner. And as it turned out, we really did need to come home. She did graduate in 2020, or at least we're told she did. Uh, we got something in the mail uh, from University of West Florida with a degree on it, but there was no ceremony or any of the normal stuff with that. Uh, but we came home in that year, and we... Came home in July, or I came in July, Shelly came in June to help her get packed up in her apartment. And, and through this year, God accomplished in our, for our family. What we needed. I mean, that even through this pandemic and all that's been going on, Mary Kate did find a job, praise God. And we did move her and get her set up. She's a long way from here, unfortunately, uh, but she's doing very well. She's in Branson, Missouri, working at Sight and Sound Theater, a Christian theater uh, there in town, very active. Thank the Lord she found a, a uh, and I, one thing I'd say, not that she found a church, but she found a thoroughly Pentecostal church. 
uh, when we first visited there, I, I, I just, we went where there our first Sunday, we get her set up, we went, and, and we had just a wonderful worship service that morning. We were just guests, you know, there, there's several churches in town for her to, to, to visit or be a part of, but she has, has, has landed at that church, and, and God is using her, she's ministering also in music. Uh, praise God, both of our kids took after their mother, not after their dad, uh, with their voice, and she's ministering in music there in the worship team, we're just so thankful for all that he has done. When we first scheduled this service in September, at mid-September, we thought we would be going back uh, to the Philippines at the end of September. That's been pushed back a little bit. We plan now uh, to depart at the end of October. Uh, we have some things we need to take care of in, in October here as far as work and uh, for the mission. So we're going to do that, and then we plan to leave on October 27th. I'd like you to just pray with us. You know, it's one of those things we're uh, with all the restrictions that are going on right now, as far as we know, we're going to be allowed to leave. We're going to be allowed actually to go to the Philippines. Our visa is still active. Uh, we thankfully, uh, just in the way timing goes, our visa, uh, we get a two-year visa every time it comes up as a religious worker in the Philippines. And we were, our visa came through in January 2020, and so it will last until uh, January 2021. Uh, but we need to be back in country to be able to renew it yet for another two years. And they did change their regulation last July that will allow us to go back uh, because on our visa, our 9G visa will allow us to go back. And so we're planning to go, to go back. And I'd like to ask you as that time approaches and you think about it, uh, pray that we meet friendly gate agents everywhere we go. Uh, from checking in here at Tampa International to arriving at the, with the immigration agent uh, in, uh, in the Philippines. Uh, there'd be nothing quite like traveling that far. It's about a 26-hour flight all together, uh, to arrive in Manila and be ter- put on back on another airplane to fly another 26 hours uh, to come back. And so we just trust that that's not going to happen and that we'll make it in there. And we just thank God for all that he has done in opening up those opportunities. This morning, if you want to open your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be reading from there this morning. But before we do that, let's pray today. Father, we thank you so much. For your goodness and mercy, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I thank you for this time that you have brought us here, Lord, to look into your word. And God, I just pray that you would use it this morning, God, to change our hearts. God, that you would use it to change our lives. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, that you would open it up in a new way. Father, that through the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Father, and through the work of your word, God, that you would change us. God, I I pray that as we leave here today, God, we'll be different than we were when we came in because of the ministry of your word and your Holy Spirit in our life. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. About 10 years ago, I started a, a big project. Actually, I started long before then, but I was working on that, that project for Thailand. I was actually writing, and I eventually did finish it. I wrote a history of the Assemblies of God in Thailand. And it was a big project to try to trace down all that had taken place. And at that time, it was about... 40 years, and it involved me going, and my favorite part of the whole project was going and interviewing the church planters, the people that 40 years before had established churches in the country of Thailand. Thailand is a country that's less than 1% Christian. There's very few Christians there, very few churches in in our country, and, and I wanted to document what had taken place so that we could learn from what they had done and apply it to our church planting that we're doing there today. It involved me traveling around the country, and as I did, I was able to go to places I'd never been before. When Shelly and I 
were there as missionaries. We lived in the northwest up in Chiang Mai, did language school there. We went over to, then moved over to Udon Thani in the northeast, and we lived there. And then we ended up in Laos for nine years, which is neighbors Thailand, and spent nine years there. And there were parts of Thailand I'd never been to. And I needed to interview this one church we had way down south in Thailand, way down in the southern part of the country, a church in Satun. As I went down to that far, going down south in Thailand, it looks a lot different than the rest of the country. The, the southern part of Thailand is not Buddhist. The southern part of Thailand is, is an Islamic area. Instead of there being Buddhist temples all over the place and statues all over the place, instead there are mosques. The people are more of a Malay ethnic background, and they, they actually look a little different than the rest of the country. And, of course, they dress different, and their places of worship look different. As I was there and traveling, and I remember getting in a van and going to Satoon, and as I traveled into Satoon that day and going there to meet Pastor Solmai, the pastor of the church there, as I was going into Satoon, I'd never been to that area before, and it was just beautiful, tropical land. Green, mountains, lush, green, and, and just humid as all get out. It's like Florida would be if we hadn't cut so, many, so much of our swamp down. Just hot and humid and, and green and just beautiful. And as I went through those rolling hills and came into Satoon, as I entered into that town, I, I, I couldn't help but, but notice as they, as they went down their main street going towards the Assemblies of God Church that there was a, a big mosque, a very large mosque on the right-hand side of the road. As I looked ahead, not even 100 meters or probably about 50 meters or 50 yards away, there was a big Buddhist temple that looked like a Chinese background type temple. We had a big mosque and a big temple very close to each other. And I thought this is unusual to have those two things so close. And as we went to the, the end of the street, we turned left and just not even a block away, there was a large Assemblies of God church. And I remember thinking how unusual it is. Well, it's unusual for us to have a large Assemblies of God church, number one, in Thailand. We're a place that most of our churches will average 20, 30 people. To have a church up into the hundreds and hundreds of hundreds and just up towards a thousand people like the church in Satoon, that's just an amazing thing. As I went in there, I sat down and I, I was, of course, curious how this church started. I sat with Pastor Solmai, sat down with him. And I asked him, I said, Pastor, I said, how did your church start? Tell me your story. And so he started telling me the story of how there was a missionary that had come in the 1970s. That spent his time there actually came early first in the 1960s. It spent 13 years there. A man from the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, not an Assemblies of God missionary. But he went there and he labored for 13 years. He labored for 13 years in order to reach those people in Satoon with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in his 13 years of labor, in his hard work and working in the harvest field and his difficulties that he had and, and working and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, in 13 years he had one convert, a Buddhist lady, came to the Lord. He sent her for Bible training up in the area of Lopuri in the central area of Thailand. And when she had finished that institute level training, she then came back down and took over leading a group there. There was a small group. She didn't feel equipped or qualified to preach. Pastor Solomai told me so she would gather a group there that was interested. Her friends, her neighbors, uh, they would read scripture. They would sing some songs. She would share a testimony, a short, word, a short message, and then they would go home. 
He said in time that missionary was going to have to leave Thailand. I don't know why. He didn't know why, but the fellow was having to leave. At that very small group, one convert. He met Pastor Wirichai, who was the founder of the Assemblies of God in Thailand in the early 19, or rather early 1970s. And he asked Pastor Wirichai to please take over that group of people, those believers there. So Pastor Wirichai, doing what he could do, even though he had a very small work at that time, himself in Bangkok, he, he sent one of his, his first disciples, his first converts, his first person he trained, to go down and pastor that church, and that was Pastor Solmai. Pastor Solmai went there, and he labored, and he said, you know, he said, in those early days, it was tough. He said, we'd gather together in a house, he said, and there were just very few converts. He said, and I got to tell you, he said, I'm from Bangkok. I come from a Chinese background. He said, I'm not Southern at all. He said, and I didn't like it much. He said, I didn't like the food, didn't like the people, didn't like the way they spoke Thai. It may surprise you, we Southerners speak English a little different. Thai Thai Southern people speak Thai a little different. He said, I just didn't like any of it. He said, I was so homesick, I'd want to come home. I'd want to come home. He said, I would ask, because this was before you could pick up the telephone and use the email or anything like that. He said, I'd write letters to Pastor Weirchai. And I would beg him, Pastor Weirchai, please let me come home. And he would answer me, just stay a little longer. Just stay a little longer. And when I talked to him, he said it had been about 35 years he had just been staying a little longer. But in that time, he said, God just started to bless. He said, people started coming to the Lord. He said, we filled up the house. He said, then we, we rented, and we were actually sitting in it, this, this, or actually rented to where they bought it, a little shop house. Call them uh, hong tiles in, in Thailand, but this shop house where you can meet on the bottom, open area, and people can live on the top, rooms above it. He said, we bought this shop house. He said, and then as we grew and we got too, too, too big for this, he said, then we bought the shop house next to us and knocked the wall out between so then when we needed more room, we did the same thing again. And when he and I were sitting there in that area, I said, well, I realized that he had done that so much that he, the Assembly of God Church now covered the whole block to be able to hold all the people that come. See, a great victory has been won there. And even today, some years later, that was about 10 years ago, so now it's well, the church is well around 45 years old. It's still there. It's still there, still winning the lost. In that community, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ who had never been shared before. But as I heard that story, I couldn't help but think about that guy who went for 13 years. That guy who labored for 13 years. We would many times in our world and the way we look at things and we think about things, we would in our fast, quick results, microwave type thinking influenced by our economics and, and growth and whatever else, we would perhaps look at what he did, spent 13 years of his life, had one convert, we may judge his time as a failure. But I can't ask myself, can't help but ask. If he hadn't spent that 13 years, if he hadn't sown into that ground for 13 years, wouldn't there be a strong witness for Jesus there today? He sowed. He stayed. He saw the harvest. He saw the harvest. He saw the harvest. Today I felt led to, to the book of John in chapter 4 and this great, beautiful account of Jesus when he's traveling, going to Galilee, he's going through Samaria, he stops at a well and has this conversation with a Samaritan woman at about noon. And we won't take the time to read the whole scripture today, I'll just 
talk us through it because I want to get to when the disciples come back to him and get to another scripture. But we see Jesus, he's traveling through, he's going to Galilee, he's going into the, to, through Samaria. And Samaria is one of those places that Jewish people typically don't go through. It would be like us avoiding the bad part of town if we could. You know, there's just some parts of town that you don't like to drive through no matter what time of day or night it is. And Samaria was kind of like that, but not as much for worrying about danger, physical danger. I'm sure that could be part of it. The ancient world was not a safe world uh, to live in, but it was also due to prejudices. You see, Jewish people didn't like Samaritans, and I suppose Samaritans probably didn't like Jewish people in Jesus' day. And Jesus, to go through Samaria, it was actually the quickest and best way that he could do to go back to Galilee. But he's on his way there. He's traveling with his disciples. And around noon, he goes to the well. They need to get food about midday. And so the disciples leave Jesus at the well. And I suppose the idea is they go get some uh, falafels or pitas or whatever they're eating back then in the Middle East. But they go get food and they come back and they'll have a water source there to be able to drink while they eat and have some water. Jesus is there at the well around noon, and a woman comes to draw water. This woman comes at noon, and it is significant a bit that she comes at noon. See, respectable people, respectable women, respectable ladies came and drew water in the morning. And you can imagine as it is, and I have been in these, I've been in villages where people go to draw water. We lived in Laos. It was a uh, Laos is still a very poor country. It was a poor country. We were there. A lot of our villages that we worked in, the people didn't have running water in their homes. And so people would gather down by the river. And it was always kind of interesting to be at, at that village to kind of get the idea of the rhythm of the village whenever women and, and ladies would go down together to go get water. They would go down together uh, to bathe or to, to do wash clothes or whatever. It was a group event. It was a time to talk. It was a time to fellowship. It was a time to be together. And we see this lady coming by herself signifies something that she doesn't belong to that first group. Somehow she's an outsider. Jesus sits at the well. She comes with her jar and Jesus asks her, he says, uh, would you draw me some water? The lady no doubt was surprised. Something about Jesus, either his accent, the way he spoke, the way he was dressed, but something about him let her know that he was Jewish. He was a Jew. And she tells him, she says, well, you know, you Jewish guys, you're not even supposed to even talk to me, much less ask me or take water from my hand. She reminds him that she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, and they're not supposed to talk, but through their discourse, Jesus tells her in verses 13 to 14, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She hears his words and she tells him, she says, Well, Lord, give me this water. And I imagine she's thinking, I'm tired of coming and drawing water this well. If you give me this kind of water, I'll never have to come here again. And she might have been even a little sarcastic with her answer by saying, Lord, give me this water. The Lord answered her, he says, to go and get your husband. She responds, I don't have a husband. And Christ responds to her in verses 17 and 18. He says, you're right when you say you have 
no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. That's why she was drawing water in the middle of the day. That's why she wasn't accepted early. But yet Jesus, Jesus didn't care about the cultural norms. Didn't care about the cultural norms that would say and tell him as a Jew he's not supposed to speak to a Samaritan. Didn't care about those cultural norms that said because he's a Jew he's not supposed to speak and touch and drink water provided by this Samaritan woman. See, Jesus saw the heart, saw the people, saw the people. They then have a conversation about their, their two interpretations of faith. The Samaritan woman says, you know, we're, uh, we say you worship, we're to worship God here on this mountain. You Jews say we're supposed to worship God in Jerusalem. But then she comes and she says, but you know, we're both looking for the Messiah. We're both looking for, though we disagree on where we're supposed to worship, we agree that we're, we're both looking for the Messiah. And towards the end of that conversation, Jesus tells her, he says, I am that Messiah. About that time, the disciples come back with the food. They come back and they have food there with them. The woman leaves her jar at the well and she runs to tell other people about Jesus. She runs to tell her friends and her neighbors and the people in her community who she has met, that she has met someone who was able to know her past, even though he's just traveling through. He knew all about me, knew who I was, what I had done, where I had been. He knew it all. And he claims that he's the Messiah. She tells him, she says, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? After hearing her, people of the town start to make their way towards the well. People of the town start to come. And I imagine that by this time, Christ was still early in his public ministry, but he had a reputation by now. And so as people come, come from town, they would have heard about this guy who's performing miracles, this guy who's teaching different than anyone has ever heard before, this, this man who seems special and different. They would have heard of him. And so on her testimony and her witness, that this could be the Messiah, and what they had heard before, they're drawn to Christ. And they start coming. They start making their way to him. The disciples, they get there having no idea what has taken place, although finding it strange that he was talking to a woman. The scripture in John tells us that though they, they were surprised to see him talking to the Samaritan woman, they didn't ask him. They already knew he was different. They already knew he didn't. He was a, a cultural conformist in his ministry and what he was there to do. They already knew this, so they didn't ask him anything about it, but they did ask him, Lord, do you want something to eat? And as the crowds are making their way towards him, Jesus answers them. He says in verse 34 through 38, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, to finish his work. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. As the crowds are coming, 
Jesus tells them, open your eyes. Open your eyes. They are ripe for the harvest. The harvest. What is the harvest? I remember some years ago, I think it was actually quite a few years ago at District Council here in Florida. And District Council is a meeting of, of all the Assemblies of God ministers here in our district, which we call Penn Florida, which is this geographic region of Florida, come together and meet. And at those meetings, there'll be booths that are set up, and people will be there, and they'll be uh, advertising different things, church resources, and, and sometimes there'll be people there that want to sell trips to the Holy Land. And I remember years ago, as I was going through, there was a, I was walking through getting brochures, and as I came to uh, this, the table, there was a, a lady there selling uh, trips or trying to encourage church trips to the Holy Land. And, I, and I've never gone. I've never gone to the Holy Land. I have an interest to, to go uh, to Israel one, at some time. Of course, I, I'd like it to be a little more peaceful, but you know, I want to go there at some time to see the, see the, 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 see the land. I, I love history. I majored in history in college, and I, the whole thing just, just fascinates me, and I would love to make that trip, but I haven't done it yet. And I stopped and talked to her. I was interested in what she had to say, and she was explaining the trip and the things you would do and the places you would go. But the culmination of this trip I thought was kind of interesting. The culmination of this trip was to harvest wheat in Israel, to harvest wheat. And, of course, talking about doing it by hand. And I don't know about you, but when I take a vacation, I'm not looking to harvest. At least I'm not looking to do any field work. But as she talked about that, and then she explained, she said, there's nothing like harvesting in the fields where Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are full. Nothing like that. And even then, it clicked in my mind, I thought, Jesus wasn't talking about the wheat. When he looked, and he said, the harvest, uh, open your eyes and see the harvest, that the fields are, or, or see the fields, that the fields are ripened to harvest. He, he wasn't talking about wheat or barley. He was talking about people. That's the harvest. He was using that, that illustration for us to have a better understanding that people would understand, but the harvest is the world that we live in, the world that does not know they have a Savior. Jesus told his disciple to look at the Samaritans that were coming to them. This big group of people that all of his followers, those 12 disciples that were with him close, and I believe even more people, were there, his entourage of Jewish people that were traveling there, that entourage of people, all of them had been told not to associate with those. All their life they had been told, we don't associate with Samaritans. They're heretics. They were left behind after the exile. When they came back, they had blended uh, the, the, the Jewish faith with the faith of their neighbors, and, and they were heretics. All their life they've been told they were heretics. They were untouchable. But yet this group of untouchable, this group of outcasts, this group coming towards him, Christ says, that's the harvest. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. And look to the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Shelly and I work and live in Southeast Asia. We have now, I mentioned earlier, for 28 years. This last year in March, actually now going on two years in March 2020, we started a new responsibility in being area directors for Southeast Asia. Uh, we continue with all the stuff we were doing before. My, my regional director and is a, a good man, a good leader, and, and he's quite clear whenever he asked us to do this 
this role that, that we were going to keep doing what we were doing already. Uh, we were just going to add this on. And so we added it on, and, and we started working in, in our area now. We're area director for six nations, uh, the Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Brunei, and Timor Leste. In these six nations, there's about 420 million people that live there. 420 million. Say a large number like that, that's hard to grasp. That's about 100 million more people than live in the United States, live in those six countries. The vast majority of them have never heard they have the Savior. The vast majority of them live in places where there is no church, where there is no place. There is no one that has ever gone. There's no one that's ever done what that OMF missionary did when he labored for 13 years. There's been no one who's ever gone. It's not that the church was there a thousand years ago and something's happened and political realities. It's not there now or even 500 years ago. It's never been planted there. Never in their history. They've never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're hard. Hard political realities. Hard living conditions. Hard economic realities that are there. Things that make it difficult to live and minister and to share the gospel with them. When I teach on missions, I, I tell our, our students as they gather, I tell my students as they gather that this is the challenge for the church of Jesus Christ today. This is their challenge, the hard places. And I somewhat jokingly tell them that all the easy places have been taken by our prior generations. What's left for us is a tough spot. And we as the church of Jesus Christ today have to ask ourselves, have we opened our eyes do we see the harvest? Do we see them? Are they just an interesting story that comes on our evening news? Do we see the harvest? Do we see them? Shelly and I were taking on this responsibility back in January of 2020. I remember we were going to Jakarta, Indonesia for some meetings. We weren't area directors in and actually hadn't been asked to do it, but somewhere I think we both knew that we were going to be asked. And I remember praying about it and praying and asking the Lord, you know, what he would have us to do and how this would be. And I can remember as we were flying into Jakarta, and Indonesia for me is something brand new. Uh, I've lived in, in Thailand for years. We show and I speak Thai. We speak Lao. We speak both of those languages. If you don't think it's a miracle that a boy raised in Durant can speak two Asian languages, it's a miracle. But we're fluent in both of those languages. But Indonesian, we don't speak Indonesian. We, we, we have no, no background there. But yet Indonesia is a country of 260 million people. Largest Islamic country in the entire world. Largest in the entire world. And I can remember as we were, were landing there and I was contemplating, you know, what it would mean for us. And I was thinking of the nuts and bolts of, uh, of travel and, and, and what we need to do. And, and I can remember as we landed on that, in that airport there in Jakarta, and I can remember looking out the windows and, and thinking as I looked at that vast city of Jakarta, which I think has somewhere around 15 million people in that city. I looked out at that vast city, and I remember being overwhelmed with that need, overwhelmed with the size of the harvest. And the areas in that country that have never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Many of you will remember a huge tsunami that went that, that hit that part of the world back, I think it was around 2000, 2004, 5, something like that. Bad tsunami came through. Some of you will remember that where just hundreds of thousands of people in Southeast Asia died. Shelly and I were in Laos at that time. And in that area of Indonesia, the worst hit area was Banda Aceh, which is up in the northern northwest corner of the country. In Banda Aceh, there, were, there was somewhere over 100,000 people died from that wave. And out of that 100,000, one of the real shames of it is out of that 100,000 that died, there wasn't one Christian. Not one Christian perished in that tsunami. And that's quite simply because there were no Christians there. There were none there. No one's ever planted a church there. The reality of that was overwhelming me as we landed in that airport. I remember the need got huge, and I, I can remember as I sat there on that airplane thinking, Lord, how can we be of some kind of a help to this? And, and I felt him speak quite clearly and said, you can't. But I can. You see, they've never been reached with the gospel. That doesn't mean they can't be reached. As long as we see the harvest that we open our eyes. Seeing the harvest. The world we live in today is in great need of a Savior. So it would be wrong this morning if me as a missionary, if, if I gave you the impression that the only harvest field available or the only harvest field there was left was outside the borders of our country. There's a vast harvest to be had right here in the United States. There's millions of people in our communities, even with all we have, even with all the churches we have, the television we have, the radio we have, everything we have available to us, there are still millions and millions of people in our country that have never heard that they have a Savior. It's our responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ to do what the Savior has told us to do and to open our eyes, to see the harvest, to see the need. There will, of course, be distractions along the way that will try to keep us from seeing the harvest. There's so many things going on in our world that attempt to distract us as the church of Jesus Christ from being the church of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, we get caught up in things that God had never intended us for to get caught up in. We get caught up in things that are so far outside of Scripture, it's, 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 it's unimaginable. We get caught up in those things, distractions from seeing the harvest. And what God has called us to do and asked us to do is to open our eyes. Open our eyes. So many distractions. We're distracted by political issues, immigration issues, economic issues, medical issues, and a whole lot of other issues that I don't have time to mention this morning. But we as the church of Jesus Christ, our God did not call us did not call us to wrap ourselves up in political issues. He called us to be his children. He called us to show love to everybody. He called us to show love. He didn't call us to get involved in immigration issues. I realize that our country has issues, and I'm going to say something that I know that uh, y'all love me, you raised me, so bear with me. I don't believe the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States today has a problem with immigration. 
I believe the church of Jesus Christ in the United States today has an immigration opportunity. We have people coming to our borders and through our borders from all over the world who need Jesus. Who need Jesus. Our country, our politicians, they can handle that. They can handle whatever needs to be done. And I, 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 I well, I'm not going to digress, but they can handle whatever needs to be done. But as far as our job as a church of Jesus Christ, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to open our eyes. We're supposed to see the harvest. We're supposed to see them as Christ sees them. The same with the way Christ saw that. He didn't see a Samaritan woman at the well. He saw a woman, a woman that needed him. But amid all of the chaos that's going on right now, and I would have never, ever in a million years, never would have figured all that's taken place in the last two years in our world. Never. But even in the midst of all of this chaos, all that's going on, his words have not changed. His calling has not changed. It has stayed the same. His calling has stayed. Even in this time of chaos, even in this time of of issues, Christ tells us to open our eyes. There's people who need Jesus, for certainly the harvest is ripe. We as a church of Jesus Christ have to respond to the harvest. What's our responsibility as the church? What's our responsibility as followers of Christ? It's not enough just to see and and to see the harvest, but I, I fully believe that if we'll actually see the harvest, we'll do something about it. If we see the harvest and see the need of man and see what Christ has asked us to look at, we would do something about it. We have to act on it. Has anyone noticed all of the plastic that's going down in our fields around us right now, the strawberry fields, as they're getting ready to plant strawberries, and it seems earlier every year. I don't know, I'm, I'm not here enough to really know and chart it, but I don't remember them putting down plastic uh, in September when I was a kid, but maybe they did, I don't know. I just can't remember it being this early. But putting down plastic, and they're putting it down all over the place, and in the next month or so, we'll see them plant. They'll put the, the, the strawberry plants in the ground, and, and they'll water those, and And they'll do things that they can to ensure that they have a ripe harvest. And in a few months, used to be around December, end of December, those bushes would be nice and big, but I guess they're earlier now because they're planting them earlier, but would be nice and big, and and they'll be loaded down by January for sure, be loaded down with a harvest of strawberries. Now, I want to ask you this. What would happen after all the preparation after the plastic was laid, after the plants were, were planted, after they were watered, after they grew to maturity, after they, they put on that great harvest of berries, what would happen if nobody came and picked the berries? They'd rot in the field. They would rot in the field. They would die on the vine. They would die on the vine. The same is true in the kingdom of God. Christ tells us the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. We have to be about the master's business to act on it. If we don't act on it, people will pass off into eternity without knowing that they have a Savior. You see, Jesus has prepared the harvest. The work is already done. He says the field is ripe for harvest. Does that mean that 
picking and gathering a harvest is going to be easy. No. Is it easy to pick strawberries? Some of y'all have had that experience growing up. I've only ever done it just to make jam, so I don't know what it is, but it's bad when you're just making jam. Back hurts, it's, it's, it's hot a lot of times out in the sun, and of course y'all know my, my granddaddy was a strawberry farmer, my mom grew up on a strawberry farm, dad was privileged to grow up in Alabama on a cotton farm, cotton and peanuts, but I think the experience is the same, gathering the harvest is not easy. I can even remember with our, our little garden that dad used to grow over on Blunt Road that uh, when we would harvest, my mom was always, when he would get the corn and the peas, she would say it constantly as she was blanching and putting stuff up, she wasn't real happy about it. Uh, she would always say over and over, I didn't marry a farmer. I didn't marry a farmer. And she didn't, but we still had a harvest and it had to be put up. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It's not easy. It's a challenge. I've worked a couple of times in my life for farmers here in the area. I can remember in, in around the month of June, uh, the St. Martin, you know, we were good friends with the St. Martin family when I was growing up. And I, I worked for them in the eggplant fields, which was in the spring. And so June, I'd get out of school and I would work some for them, and, and it was hard. Uh, I, I, my job was to go along behind the cutters. They didn't trust me to be able to cut, I guess. So they, they, would, they would cut, and they would fill up the bushels, and I would come along behind, pick the bushel up, take it out of the eggplant field, put it on the back of the flatbed truck. They would drive it around, drop it in a big vat of water, and by the time the eggplant floated to the other side of that water, they would declare it clean. Uh, they would wrap it. So if you ever buy an eggplant, wash it again, just a uh, notice. But they would declare it clean, wrap it, and it would be off to Publix or somewhere. But we did that, and it was, it was hard, hot, hard work. Eggplants are hard to mess with. They've, they've got like fur on their leaves. They've got thorns on the, on the vine and thorns at the top, and it, it was never much fun. Actually, it was after those couple of summers I did that. It was years before I ate eggplant again. It was just something about it. And though it was a challenge, though it was difficult, though it was hard, we still got the harvest. Reaching the that never reach, reaching people that don't know Jesus, it's going to be hard. It's going to cause people that grew up in a place like Durant to learn two Asian languages. Challenges. Difficulties. But nothing so challenging, nothing so difficult that we can't get the harvest. Nothing so challenging, something so difficult that the church of Jesus Christ can't be the church of Jesus Christ and show love to people that are all around us. There's people that are searching for answers. All of us know people that need to know Jesus. All of us come in contact with family members. All of us come in contact with people that need Jesus. Show his love. Let them know that you you know the Savior. Let him know that you know the Savior. Let them know that you're a follower of Christ. Let them know that you love them. Show your love to them. Tell them why you have a joy. Tell them why you have an assurance. Tell them why, with all that's going on in the chaos of this world, why you're not worried. Because though we don't know the future, we know who holds the future. He has it firmly in his hand. Tell them. Tell them. Gather the harvest. Gather the harvest. The fields are ripe. The fields are ripe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have called us. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us. Lord, that you have loved us. Lord, we thank you that, Father, you are allowing us, Father, that you have allowed us to be your followers. And God, I pray, Father, that you would help us as your church right here in Durant, right here, Father, in Central Florida. God, help us to open our eyes. 
Help us to see the harvest. Help us to see the harvest all around. Lord, the hundreds and thousands and people of the Lord just within the 20, 30 mile diameter of this church, God, many, diameter of this church, God, many of them, oh God, don't know you. Lord, and many of them we come in contact with. God, help us to show your love. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to show your love to them. Lord, you have called us to open our eyes and see the harvest. Lord, help us to do that. God, I pray, Father, for those that, Lord, that you would, would guide God to go to, to places outside of our nation, Lord, outside of the comfort zone, God, uh, places of difficulty and challenges, oh, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would empower them, oh, God. Empower them, oh, God, to see your harvest, to see it, oh, God, to see it, oh, Lord. If you would all stand with me today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to ask everyone, while everyone's head is bowed, I feel like sharing a message like this, I preach primarily to the, the church, and you may be here today and you may say, well, I'm not part of the church, meaning I'm not a follower of Christ. Today you can be. Becoming a follower of Christ is simply turning from the way you're going, turning from the road that you're on, and turning towards him. Committing to follow after him. Committing yourself. Confessing your sins. Confessing that we need him. Confessing that we need him. He's here to forgive. He's here to welcome. He's here to welcome into the, into the kingdom of God. Into his fellowship. As I pray today, if that is you, commit in your heart. Commit in your life to turn, to change, to follow after Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the one, Lord, that's here, the person that's here, oh God, the people that are here, Lord. Lord, that don't know you, Father, they're out of fellowship with you for one reason or the other. God, I pray that even now as I pray for them, God, that they would commit themselves to follow after you, that they would commit themselves, God, that from this day on that they would follow you, commit themselves, come what may, that they would follow after you. And Father, we know, Lord, that you're here to give the comfort, to give the forgiveness, O oh Lord, as only you can. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in closing, I would like to pray for this congregation that we would open our eyes, that we would see the fields, ripen to harvest. The people that in our area, in our community, and around the world, that the harvest would not rot. It would not rot on the vine, but it would be gathered in for the good of the kingdom, be gathered in for the good of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for your church. I pray, Father, for this wonderful group of believers, God, that I'm a part of. Lord, this wonderful community, Lord, that raised me, God. Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to see the harvest. God, help us to not be distracted by the things of this world. Help us to not be pulled away, Father, from, from, from what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be as your children. Oh, God. Oh, God. Help us to see the harvest. 
that we would see the harvest, Lord, that's right for you. And God, as we go, God, this week, Lord, I pray that all of us would have an opportunity to show your love. All of us would have an opportunity, oh God, to, to, to share you, God, with somebody who doesn't know you. All of us, oh God, would have the opportunity to touch a life for you. Lord, that the harvest would be gathered, for it is right. Go with us, be with us, oh God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. The harvest is white. The fields are white. The labors are few. Amen. Hallelujah. As we're closing today, I just want to—I want us to pray for Sam and Shelley, brother Sam, see Shelley. If you'd come up here up front, Amen. As they're going back to the field, Amen. We want to pray a blessing over them this morning and send them with our blessings and a hedge of protection, Amen. As they go, their families. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today. Lord, for Brother Sam and Sister Shelley Bowden, Lord God. Father, we thank you for their obedience to your call. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to sit under their ministry today. Lord, we've been refreshed. We've been stirred. We've been challenged, Lord God, and moved, Lord God, by the harvest, Lord God, right here in Durant, Lord, right here in our own nation, Lord. But, Father, as they go, Lord God, we pray your blessings, Lord God, upon them. You open the doors that no man can close, Lord God, and you close doors that no man can open. And, Lord God, we pray right now, Lord, as they go, that they would go in a fresh anointing, Lord God. For truly, Lord, hallelujah, the harvest is white. Lord God, the fields are white, ready for harvest, Lord God. As your labors go forth, we pray that they would go forth in power, in might, Lord God, that you would connect them, Lord, with those that they need to be connected with, Lord God. Father, that you would do the work that only you could do through their obedience, Lord. We pray your blessings, Lord God, upon them. We pray for your hedge of protection over them as they go. Lord, we pray for your hedge of protection, Lord, over their families, Lord, over their children, Lord, their parents. Lord, that they, that they leave their siblings. Lord God, Father, watch over each one. Lord God, we plead the blood of Jesus over them. We pray that you would use them mightily, that every need, Lord God, would be met, Lord, along the way. Father, we give you the glory. Father, we give you the praise for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do in and through their lives and their family, Lord. All the glory goes to you, Lord God. And that one day, Lord God, when we catch that vision that John saw, Lord, when he saw the multitude of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, Lord God, dressed in white, giving glory, to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Oh, Father God, we look forward to that day, Lord. In the meantime, Lord God, let us each one be faithful. Let us be sensitive, Lord God, to the opportunities that you give us each one to share your love and your truth with those around us, Father. We give all the glory. We give all the praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you, thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. Amen. God bless you as you leave from this place. We'll see you on Wednesday at our Bible study. God bless you.